0: Hello, and thanks for tuning in to the Fisher Investments Market Insights Podcast, where we discuss our firm's latest thinking on global capital markets and current events. I'm Naj Srinivas, Corporate Communications Group Manager here at the firm, and today I'm joined by content analyst, Elizabeth Dellinger. Hi, Naj. Thanks for joining us today, Elizabeth. You're welcome. So today we're going to talk a little bit about, well, Trump and trade. Yes. So obviously... Trade has been in the news a lot. It's been talked about pretty extensively in the halls of Congress as well. What are some of the things that we're hearing from clients regarding trade right now?
1: Well, we're hearing a lot about NAFTA. We're hearing a lot about Trump pulling the US out of the Trans-Pacific Partnership, also known as the TPP. And we're hearing a lot about a border tax in Congress and various tariffs and new barriers that might come up over the next several months.
0: These are all largely fears about potential changes to these things and, and of course what their impact might be on stocks. There's obviously a lot we could talk about here, so maybe we just focus in on just a few of them. One of President Trump's campaign promises was to pull the United States out of NAFTA. Or the North American Free Trade Agreement or or renegotiate it, what can you tell us about our thoughts there and and what's progressed so far?
1: Well, our general take is that it is too early to tell. Um, Before I go into more detail, I just want to make very clear we are politically agnostic. We have no preference in terms of party or a politician or any of that. We try to be as blind as possible and just look at the policies themselves and their potential market impact. So with that out of the way, as it pertains to NAFTA, in general, stocks really like free trade. And stocks probably wouldn't like new free, new barriers against that. But so far, there's no indication that what is potentially going on with NAFTA is going to raise trade barriers. What we've seen so far is a lot of talk. But what the talk amounts to is the Trump administration saying, we don't like multilateral trade deals it seems like there are too many loopholes too many carve-outs and you can probably get a cleaner deal if it's between just two countries what they call a bilateral deal so what you might end up seeing is nafta goes away and then it turns into a free trade deal with canada and a free trade deal with mexico and both of those trade deals might end up being even freer than nafta is
0: But, but of course watch what politicians actually do and not just what they say exactly and to your point with President Trump's supposed preference for bilateral trade deals versus the multilateral trade deals, this is straight from, from his book, The Art of the Deal, mm-hmm. right? It's a negotiating tactic to be able to come in and, and have those strong opening foray in the negotiations to try to get more of what you want versus the other negotiating party.
1: Exactly. And I think what is lost on a lot of people is that no, there's no general consensus. Nobody seems to think that NAFTA as it stands is absolutely perfect. It's an old deal. It's well over 20 years old. The internet was barely in existence back then. Trade in digital items was almost non-existent. So there is a huge digital market out there right now that NAFTA doesn't even cover. So there's a lot of room to modernize and for all you know, renegotiate NAFTA could end up being make NAFTA even freer.
0: What about the potential dislocations for multinational companies that have built their supply chains relying on a trade deal like NAFTA being able to import goods or components freely from Mexico, into the United States, or vice versa, to, to build, say, cars.
1: Uh, yeah, that's a very key consideration. And also all of the jobs, particularly in border states like Texas and New Mexico, that depend on trade with NAFTA. Um, when it comes to politics, we always take a very cynical view, which is that any sitting politician who is up for re-election their primary goal is to get reelected. So if I put on my cynical hat and I'm President Trump, I think I really don't want to alienate all of those voters in Texas and New Mexico and Arizona and Southern California. Not that Southern California votes Republican, but you know what I mean. I don't want to alienate those people. I don't want to rip up a trade deal and cause hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people to lose jobs. So maybe i better do what i need to do to keep them at work you never know what kind of considerations like that play into it
0: it's a strong disincentive when you have such big economic ties to these countries for a president trump or another politician to derail that free trade or the free movement of those goods when so many jobs are on the line.
1: Exactly, and you're already starting to see a lot of lobbying from that from senators from those border states saying, hey, hey, we need these free trade routes. Our companies and our people here depend on having these lines open.
0: So I think our conversation about bilateral trade deals versus multilateral trade deals largely covers the TPP and the Trans-Pacific Partnership and why President Trump likely pulled the country out of that and, and effectively torpedoed the deal, mm-hmm. uh, being that the United States was one of the major proponents, if not the, the first proponent of a, a, a Trans-Pacific Partnership. But another thing that we're hearing about a lot is this border adjustment tax. Yeah, The idea that any goods, even components of not finished goods that are being imported into the country get taxed. Mm-hmm. What are our thoughts on on that? I mean, obviously you tax something you get less of it.
1: Yeah, but
0: what does it mean for stocks?
1: Well for now, I think it's too early to say what it means for stocks because it would require legislation to pass and Congress is incredibly gridlocked right now when it comes to tax plans. There is so much disagreement Over what any potential trade tax plan should look like and whether or not we should even make changes. So we don't expect that to go anywhere quickly Um, in terms of what the border tax itself would do. Basically, what it amounts to is a tax on imports and then an implicit subsidy for exports. Uh, There are a lot of people out there saying that the two would probably cancel each other out or that the dollar would strengthen if this came to pass and that would offset the import tax. We think that's just a whole lot of speculation and mumbo jumbo and wouldn't read it too much into any of it because it just presumes too much about markets what they would and wouldn't do in response.
0: And the devil's in the details. Mm -hmm. In order for markets to really ascertain, and I I hate using this term, but I'm gonna use it anyway, in order for markets to ascertain who the winners and losers are based on any legislation, you've actually gotta see that legislation and and have it be understood by markets and interpreted also Mm -hmm. by not only markets, but also regulators and and market participants.
1: Exactly. There are a lot of people out there who think that all it would do is bring the U.S. in line with the rest of the world, because pretty much every other major country has a value-added tax or a VAT, which effectively does the same thing, and we don't. So there's a lot of talk about this leveling the playing field. Would market see it that way if it came to pass? I don't know. Um, I tend to think that any barrier to freer trade is probably a headwind but at the same time, maybe not the biggest one in the world.
0: The root of what we're getting at with all of these deals, really, is is the fear that the United States has a big trade deficit relative to a lot of our trading partners. And, and of course, the United States has done just fine despite our big trade deficit. But is that something that people have to continue worrying about in the future? And what does a big trade deficit mean for stocks? Obviously, the U.S. has done well at periods, but Does a a high and rising trade deficit mean something for stocks relative to a shrinking deficit?
1: I'll tell you what, if I had a time machine and I could only do one thing with it and change one thing in the past, I would go back in time 80 to 90 years, sit down with a gentleman called Simon Kuznets who created the gross domestic product calculation and the national accounting system and say, hey, You know, I understand why for accounting purposes, it might make sense to you to subtract imports from exports, but that's going to cause a whole lot of unnecessary problems over the rest of this century and beyond, and people are going to get way too scared about it. And so maybe let's just not do that. And trust me, society will be way happier. (laughs)
0: This goes back to to economics 101, calculation Mm -hmm. for GDP consumption plus investment plus government spending plus net exports.
1: Exactly. So because the GDP calculation uses net exports it treats imports as a big minus sign so there is this huge widespread perception that imports subtract from economic growth. The fun little secret is that that is not actually true because imports show up in consumer spending, business investment, and all the net export part of GDP does is make that zero sum. So it's just like, okay, anything you spent on imports, we're going to subtract that out.
0: When in reality, it actually might be a sign of economic strength.
1: Exactly, so the point I was getting at was that it actually doesn't subtract from GDP, it's just a complete zero contribution. So, That's point one, and point number two is what you said, yeah, if you were importing a lot, that means domestic demand is really strong and your economy is really strong. Uh, Funnily enough, when imports fall the most usually is when you're in recession, and that's a really bad sign, and I'm sure companies like Walmart and Target and a lot of other major retailers would agree high import's good,
0: falling Mm -hmm.
1: import's bad.
0: Right. So we're sitting here on on February 7th recording this podcast and President Trump is actually set to meet with Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe later this week. What are some of the major talking points there and what do you expect to come out of that meeting, if anything?
1: Well, based on what I've read, I think the two major talking points are going to be automobiles and investment. Uh, Automobiles because Trump has made a huge to-do of the fact that we import a lot of cars from japan uh, i believe it was 36 billion just about dollars worth of auto imports from japan in 2015 but their market is so protected that we exported only 570 million dollars worth of cars to them that is a million with an m mm-hmm. in 2015 so he's cherry-picking that is one area where the Japanese economy is very protected, while ours is not, and uh, an area that he might want them to compromise on. Uh, now, Japan's economy is notorious for protectionism, not just in cars, but in agriculture and food, but for whatever reason, probably because we have the big three automakers here that Trump's trying to get in good with, that's the one that he's lit on as a talking point.
0: Is it, is it really that there's a lot of protectionism, or is it some of that and some of the fact that most American auto manufacturers don't make cars that are appealing to the Japanese audience?
1: Exactly. I mean, it's you can almost never pin it on any one thing because there are so many factors at work. Right. It's,
0: yeah. it's usually some element of gray, not necessarily just pure black and white.
1: Exactly. I mean, you know, I drive a Subaru. I get it.
0: You know, this reminds me of, Elizabeth, is actually a topic you and I love talking about. It's one of our, our favorite talking points because of just how ridiculous it is and, and the fact that poor U.S. chickens the world around have been really persecuted by what's known as the chicken tax.
1: Yes, the chicken tax.
0: The chicken tax, for those of you who are not familiar with it, is actually an effort to protect U.S. truck makers from foreign imports. It makes it more expensive for foreign truck manufacturers to import their trucks into the United States. And of course, many countries in retaliation for the tariffs on imported foreign trucks enact tariffs on imports of U.S. chickens, hence the chicken tax. It's it's an interesting topic if you're ever interested in Googling it.
1: You, are, you see a lot of that tit-for-tat in very narrow categories of goods all over the world. Now that you mention it, I mean, for a long time, there's been a huge backlash against China's subsidized solar panel exports. So you saw the EU slap tariffs up against those. and china got all mad and they decided to start putting extra tariffs on european wine arguing that the french were illegally subsidizing european wine and
0: and of course the united states put tariffs on chinese tires in 2009 and 10 and Uh china retaliated by putting tariffs on u.s
1: chickens that's right um and then i think the other the other topic will be investment And here's where we get into the other main reason why a trade deficit is not a problem at all, is because when you run a trade deficit with a country, you pretty much always will run an equal investment surplus with that country. So even though we have this massive trade deficit with Japan, they are investing a ton of money here and uh, Trump and Abe are going to sit down and discuss plans for some of that money. One thing that Shinzo Abe, the Japanese prime minister, outlined earlier last week was a massive infrastructure investment package, which he hopes would create 700,000 jobs here over the next decade uh, with Japanese companies investing in things like rail and subway lines and all manner of transport-related infrastructure projects now always take those forecasts with a grain of salt. Who knows how many jobs they'd actually create? But I think a lot of people don't realize that they are very, very eager to deploy capital here.
0: Mm -hmm. So we have a lot of activity on the trade front here in the United States. You've also got Brexit and the potential for Prime Minister Theresa May there to renegotiate trade deals with the European Union once they actually do leave the European Union. Overall, it seems like there's a lot of protectionist rhetoric, or a lot of fears of protectionism. In your view, do you actually think that's true, that trade barriers are going up, or do you think globally trade barriers are still going down?
1: I think there's a lot of talk about them going up, but in reality, they're going down. Um, The funny thing about Brexit is everybody says it was a vote against globalization. And if you think about it from the standpoint of the UK leaving this huge European trade block, okay, I'll give that to you. But at the same time, one of the reasons they left was because they were sick of not being able to pursue their own free trade deals above and beyond what the EU was pursuing.
0: They had to bring the rest of the EU along with them if they wanted to, say, get into a trade deal with the United States.
1: Exactly. And then it's not just our interests and their interests that they're trying to navigate, it's one T seven other European countries and you have the French wanting to protect their cheese and the Greeks wanting to protect their cheese and all the UK doesn't really care about the naming rights for feta. Mm-hmm. and that no kidding is one of the things that halt, or, uh, halted the European Canadian free trade deal for years was cheese naming rights. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We'd rather just get down to brass tacks. And and you've also seen uh, Prime Minister May talk about having new trade deals with the UK and Canada and South Korea and China. And it's just, it's really hard to interpret that as trade barriers rising rather than falling.
0: Well, that's all we have time for this edition. Elizabeth, thank you so much for joining us. And thank you for tuning in. For more, please visit MarketMiner.com. Investing in securities involves the risk of loss. Past performance is no guarantee of future returns. The content of this podcast represents the opinions and viewpoints of Fisher Investments and should not be regarded as personal investment advice. No assurances are made we will continue to hold these views, which may change at any time based on new information, analysis, or reconsideration. Copyright Fisher Investments 2017.